as we gather today, there is a heaviness of heart. There's a feeling of just being totally brokenhearted and perhaps feeling hopelessness. There's just a very serious weight of all the injustices that we're witnessing of racism. And perhaps you too feel like you can't breathe like Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor or George Floyd who have experienced racism and injustice to their very death. Senseless murders. So we are here learning to grieve together. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how to lament. How to lament. George Floyd, an unarmed black man, uh, suffering there, lying there, uh, crying out, I can't breathe, under the knee of a, a white police officer who was called to protect and to serve. And yet it's painfully sobering. It's a sobering reminder that we still live in a world that's full of hatred, that's full of injustice, that's full of racism. And the invitation today is just to feel, it's just to feel the, the pain of, of it all, to feel the pain of it all, to feel the pain of black America, to feel the pain of black mothers and fathers, to feel the pain of black siblings, to feel the pain of black churches, to feel the pain of black pastors, to feel the pain of black uncles and aunts, and to feel the pain of black neighbors and black friends of ours. People created by God, people dearly loved by God, and yet people who don't feel the freedom to run, they don't feel the freedom to walk, they don't feel the freedom to go to sleep, and they don't feel the freedom to breathe without concern for their very lives. This white police officer with his knee on the neck of a suffocating black man is an icon. It's an icon of our moment. It's an icon of our history. It's an icon of the merciless system and structured injustice. And it causes us to feel outrage causes us to feel sickness in our very stomach. And so I'm inviting you to bring all of that into worship today. Take a long look into the mirror at ourselves and our society, and we ask ourselves, how can people live together in peace and in unity? I mean, whenever we think about all the global conflicts and our nation's divisions, how can the many live together as one. Iraq and Syria, Israel and Palestine, Russia and Ukraine, China and Hong Kong, North and South Sudan, white America and black America. And just like we were taught in the U.S. history class, the USA is meant to be e pluribus unum. That's written on our seal, it's written on our coins, meaning out of the many there will be one. There will be unity. That's our American creed, but it's not our American character. It's not our American culture. And so we ask, how can the many live together as one? Scripture 
The Bible clearly tells us to live together in mutual delight. Mutual delight and mutual love for one another. Yet we live in a sin-soaked world that is torn apart and it's continually tearing us apart. And that Christ has come to unite us back together with God and to unite us together with one another. Yet the American church is often more divided by political and racial and cultural and class divisions rather than unity in Jesus. We live in an empire. Yeah, we live in an empire that claims to be able to bring that unity, yet it clearly cannot bring that unity. It's failed us all to bring that unity. What we need most right now is divine supernatural intervention. We need our spirits awakened by God to, to begin to shed the very tears of God, to feel the pain of God, and to feel the groaning of God's creation for things to be made right. We're invited to feel all of these things today and moving forward. Now, word to you uh, white people. I'm white, so I can say this quite directly and with love. Uh, for you white people listening, for you white people watching this, uh, I've noticed certain news clips or YouTube presentations passed along on social media that offer perspectives on the death of George Floyd or Black Lives Matter that in fact are contrary to the voices of the black majority. Now, why is this? I think white people are looking for anything just to feel better not to feel responsible for what's going on now or in the past. We don't want to lament. We just think, we think maybe I can just volunteer enough to make it all go away. Maybe I can adopt a black friend and act as if I truly love the black community. Or maybe I can just drown it all with staying busy or try to fill my life with other happy thoughts. I do this at times. I'm guilty of this. I'm in the wrong. It is wrong. We need to grieve. We need to lament. We need to learn how to lament. And for us white people, lament means repentance. To own our part of white privilege and exacerbating racism. Take a long look in the mirror and ask God, what about me? What about me and my white privilege contributes to systemic racism? That's the invitation today. We're talking about how to lament. We're starting a new conversation series right now, our sermon series in the book of the Psalms. And there's no better place than to learn how to lament than in the book of Psalms. Yes, that collection of 150 prayers right in the dead center of your Bible, that book called Psalms. So let's pray right now as we get started. Dear Lord, give us your comfort right now. Give us eyes to see the injustice. Give us ears to hear the suffocating pain. Give us repentance to own our part in all of this chaos. Help us lament. Help us grieve. Dear Lord, 
Dear Lord, awaken our hearts. Help us shed tears as you do, O Lord. Have mercy, we pray in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Well, real quick, quickly as we're getting started here, a context for the Psalms, those 150 Psalms that are listed there in the middle of your Bible. There are many different types of Psalms. And to totally summarize, I know this is an oversimplification of the book of Psalms, but a summary would be that there are two types of Psalms. There's sort of a wow Psalm, and then there's a help Psalm. A wow Psalm is a praise, and a help Psalm is a lament. So these basically uh, fall, these, all of these Psalms basically fall into two categories a praise psalm or a lament psalm. And a praise psalm, whenever you find one of those, there uh, you'll notice that it, it expresses joy and celebration and it draws attention to what God is, has done in our lives and it takes confidence in what God is going to do in our lives. It leads us to thanking God for not only something that God is going to do, but who God is, that God hasn't forgotten us. Yet a lament a psalm of lament is that it expresses confusion, disorientation, anger, pain about how horrible the world is. And that sort of honesty and psalm draws our attention to what's gone wrong in the world. And it asks God to do something about it. Lament is the response to evil that we experience in this world. Lament psalms are not hallelujah psalms. It's not a quick, hey, just praise God and everything will be okay. Rather, it's brutal honesty to truly feel our feelings. Uh, so therefore, the nature of prayer, uh, when in your own prayer life, my prayer life, and what we see in this prayer book given to the people of God known as the psalms, is there is this tension, this tension for us as we look at the tragic state of our world and our lives, and we don't ignore it. And at the same time, biblical faith keeps us looking forward to the faithfulness of God. So the Psalms are these biblical poets, and these biblical poets, they loved design, and they used metaphors and symbolism and to invite us into having some experience to ponder slowly and to look at things from different angles. These were Israelite poets. They were sages. They were kings. They were prophets. And each poem and each psalm builds as a storyline, and they creatively retell the entire storyline of the Bible. So if you're looking for an incredible summary of the entire storyline of what the Bible is even all about, the book of Psalms is a wonderful place to go. So the Psalms invite us into a literary temple. Of sorts. They're designed as a virtual temple for all generations of God's people. The tabernacle, tabernacle, later the temple in Jerusalem, is where ancient Israel's, Israelites went to meet with God. And when they arrived there, they would see art inside. There, there would be all sorts of imagery. There would be rituals that the priests would be performing. There would be songs and prayers, all symbolically proclaiming that there was a story that these Israelites and that all of God's people 
among all nations, that there's a story that they fit into, that God was indeed ruling all things and had a plan for them. So imagine how traumatic it was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and plundered and burned the temple and took many Israelites into exile. Where can they go to meet with God? Where can they go to meet with God and say their prayers? Well, you see, the Psalms would be a prayer book for exiles designed to be a virtual temple for them so that you could enter the Psalms to meet with God and hear the story of God's kingdom sung back to you in poetry. It's incredibly creative. And uh, many commentators say that in reading the book of Psalms, you should actually start with Psalm 146. Read Psalm 146, 47, 48, 49, 150. And as you're reading those, you'll notice the beginning and at the end of those psalms, it's a hallelujah psalm. And then after reading those, it points you to Psalm 1 and 2. Psalm 1 looks back to the garden, that there's a river of life that we're being reminded of that shows up in the book of Genesis for us. Uh, he, he, the psalmist, paints a portrait of hope of a person who delights in God's way. Psalm 1 talks about a person who delights in God's way is like a tree that's planted by this stream, by this river. Genesis, the book of Genesis, that God made a promise there in the book of Genesis of a future human who would defeat evil and restore the world. That's what Psalm 1 is really talking about. Psalm 2, it goes on that God's promise that a king would come, that the Son of God, the Messiah, who will bring justice on all of human evil, all of it, and restore God's kingdom among the nations, concludes by saying all those who take refuge in this Messiah and in this king will be blessed. Then after Psalm 2, you enter into the rough and tumble of Psalm 3. It's a lament psalm. And that's how the Psalms go. That's a couple of orienting Psalms there at the very beginning. And then you enter into a Psalm of lament. There's other Psalms of praise sprinkled in there. Then more Psalms of lament. And that is our life. Psalms of lament, a word here, is that in these poems and prayers, David is sharing his fears. He's confessing his, his, his utter outrage at injustice. There are times when he's confessing his sin, and there's other times in his psalms of lament where he's thanking God as a redeemer. David is like a prayer coach for us, helping us to pray and discover God's presence in good times, but most often in bad times and in the times that should not be. The Psalms are not designed for us just to read one time. So if you're very competitive or if you're very much a to-do person and you just want to check it off your list and you want to get through the Psalms in a hurry, that is not the intent of the Psalms. Uh, you read it real quickly and then to put it down or, or randomly to try to pick it up and use it as a hymn book. Rather, we need to read slowly and meditate very slowly through the Psalms, giving us a greater understanding of the entire biblical storyline and where we fit in the story. 
It's designed for a lifetime of slow rereading and reflecting on the story. And these prayers, these laments, these songs of praise are meant to become our own. They're poems of exiles who are learning to live, learning to live by God's wisdom and to seek God's justice in the world as they hope for a coming Messiah and the kingdom of God. So now let's look at a psalm of lament today. A psalm of lament. Psalm 13 is the one we're looking at today, and I'm going to read it, and I invite you to open there in the middle of the Bible. Psalm chapter 13, and we're going to look at four ways to lament. Let's read together. O oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will the enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing of the Lord because he is good to me. See, lament is this language for living in between the poles of a hard life, a life full of racism and injustice, which we're all experiencing and witnessing right now, and yet trusting in God's sovereignty. It's a prayer form for the people of God who are waiting for the day when Jesus will return and make everything right. And so Christians, followers of Jesus, don't just mourn. We don't just experience sadness. Rather, to lament teaches us that we long for God to end the pain. See, anyone can cry. Anyone can cry. To cry is human. It's a part of all of our existence. Yet to, to lament is uniquely Christian. How to lament? Four ways. Number one, lament turns to God. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? Verse 1 says there. See, for the Christian, lament turns toward God when sorrow tempts us to turn from God. We've all experienced that. We've had sorrow, and, and, and yet we're tempted in the midst of sorrow to turn away from God. God, where are you? And for the Christian, sorrow, while it may invite us to run away from God or, 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 or think God is, is not there with me and is not for me, Lament is turning toward God. In his book, A Stone of Hope, Prophetic Religion and the Death of History, or Prophetic, I'm sorry, let me repeat that. In his book, A Stone of Hope, Prophetic Religion and the Death of Jim Crow, author David Chappell, professor of modern American history at the University of Oklahoma, writes about the importance of biblical prophetic expressions of faith 
in the civil rights movement, arguably the most successful so social movement in American history. In the fifth chapter of this book, he writes uh, the civil rights movement as a religious uh, revival, and he argues the civil rights movement was not a political protest with religious overtones, but an evangelical Christian revival with political and social implications. That is, the energy and heartbeat of the movement were not just out there in the streets, but in here within the churches, where pastors and parishioners and everyone from university students to the elderly were committing themselves to Jesus's practices that result in peacemaking. That's why you can't just hold a Bible for a photo op. There's more to it than that, identifying as a Christian. There's more to it than just holding a Bible up for a photo op. I heard an American, African-American faith leader just this week say, it's not about holding the Bible in your hand, but holding the Bible in your heart. See, the Bible's purpose, the Psalms, the purpose of it is to tenderize our hearts is to see the injustice all around us and to see the injustice that we've contributed towards. And it's not just to be in the streets, but it's to be in here, in the church, or in prayer, finding out what part do I own. It's to tenderize our hearts. So a psalm of lament written during times of hurt, times of alienation, suffering, and loss, it, it evokes questions, doubts, rage, despair. People are confused, bewildered, angered. And the soul cries out to God. That's how we lament. The very first one is to lament turns to God. It goes Godward. It's an announcement of our pain and loss. If I look at, as I look at these lament psalms, there's at least six areas that the, that the psalmist is lamenting about. Number one is unjust physical suffering that he or others are going through. Number two, that there's illness and death. Now for us, we might think about the 100,000 plus COVID-related deaths here in the United States. And globally, some sources say 300,000. Other sources say 400,000. The third way is uh, alienation and exile. It's a cry out against alienation and exile. The fourth one is humiliation. An announcement of our pain and loss. Number five is against injustice and death. And number six is death itself. See, prayers of lament take faith. Talking to God instead of just sinfully getting angered or embittered or not really knowing where to turn with this conversation. So please keep that in mind. Is it the very first way that we're to lament is that it's to turn to God. The entire book of Lamentations, a book in the Old Testament written by the prophet Jeremiah is based upon God's righteous indignation and judgment and the, and the laments of Jeremiah that he's going through regarding this, as he's sometimes called the weeping prophet. 
Now here's some action items. I'm sorry, we just got cut off in our video, so we're just starting uh, again here. Some action items right here for us is I want to affirm the need for action in reaching out to our allies right now. Call up. Call up an African-American friend. Listen. Affirm, reaffirm your love for them. Listen to what they are going through. Speak up online is another way to lament. Participate in peaceful protest. I was a part of one of those here in San Francisco this week. Socially distanced, we tried to do. Uh, wearing our mask and trying our best to stay six feet apart. But participate in these peaceful protests. Sign petitions for police reform and social justice. Have crucial conversations about racial justice and reconciliation is another action item. Support African-American-owned restaurants. Engage in multicultural and interracial ministry partnerships. And I also want to affirm that action without contemplation and protest without prayer and conversations with one another, yet absent of conversations with God, will not take us very far or prove very effective in the ways that we want to see God resolve this. The second way to lament here is that lament brings a complaint. It not only turns towards God, but it brings a complaint before God. Verse 2 here in Psalm 13, he says, How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long? Will my enemy have the upper hand? See, biblical lament humbly and honestly identifies that pain. It doesn't run from it, but it identifies it. It has questions and frustration that's raging from our very souls. Eugene Peterson, well-known pastor, theologian, and writer, says, we must pray who we are, not who we think we should be. Meeting God here as we lament and we, and we bring a complaint to God is coming just as we are, coming with a complaint. And bringing a complaint before God says these things. Remember this. It says, life is not right in this present arrangement. This is not the way it's supposed to be. It says, life need not stay this way, but it needs to change. There must be change. And the person praying to God will not accept life in this way. It is intolerable. And that's because God has the power and the authority to change things. But to bring a complaint before God is to say, I, I can't stand it. I can't live in a world like this. Something is, is wrong. I'm, I'm part of what's wrong. The third way to lament is to ask boldly for help. Verse 3 and 4. See, sorrow can create a deadly silence as we give into despair. Despair says there's no hope. And denial says everything's fine, everything's going to be okay. But lament invites us to dare 
to hope in God's promises as we ask God for help. Verse 3 and verse 4 here in Psalm 13 says, Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, We have defeated him. The fourth way to lament is lament chooses in all of its honesty, in all of its pain, in all of the anguish of its soul. It chooses to trust in God, verses 5 and 6. This is the destination, by the way, of all of our laments. See, lament is not a dead end. Uh, Lament is not without hope. The destination of our lament, after we've turned to God and, and started this conversation with God and brought a complaint towards God, and ask boldly for help, and then choosing to trust in God. This is where all roads of lament, they lead here. Verses 5 and 6, it says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt, or even in the future will deal bountifully with me. And if you're really feeling into it, not only to sing to the Lord, but like King David to, quote, dance before the Lord with all your might, as we see in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. Yes, King David, who lamented, who suffered. And I have to think that Israel's worshiping warrior would take advantage of our sheltering in place by lamenting, by crying out, by bringing a complaint before God. Yes, protesting. Yes, having conversations with others. Yes, contributing online to the conversation, yet bringing the complaint before God. And yet somewhere in there, I think he would have been working on his dance moves in the privacy of his own living room, dancing before the Lord somehow, perhaps even crying, weeping as he's dancing and praying before the Lord. Psalm 30, he says, You turned my wailing, my tears, my crying, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy that my heart might sing praises and not be silent. You are my God. I will praise you forever. See, for the Christian, as we learn to lament, there's this hope of restoration. Again, reading through the Psalms and seeing the biblical storyline, that there is a restoration of all things, all things. There is this promise of God and and the hope of a restoration of all things. There's a book called The Divine Conspiracy, I want to read a few paragraphs from this book. And the author of the book is Dallas Willard. And again, the title of the book is The Divine Conspiracy, Rediscovering Our Hidden Life in God. Now, I'm going to be reading uh, a few paragraphs uh, from chapter 10. And in chapter 10, it's called The Restoration of All Things, page 300. 
97. The passage of time. Common human experience in all ages and cultures teaches much more about transition and passage than Western culture for the last century or so has been willing to deal with. Some of it, some of it has been reaffirmed and perhaps over-embellished by the recent interest in near-death experiences. But what common human experience thus teaches us, teaches is in basic, basic accord with indications to be derived from biblical sources. Most notably, the person in transition begins to see the invisible. Others whom they know come to meet them, often while they are still interacting with those left behind. If death is sudden, those nearby will have no opportunity to realize that this is happening. But we can be sure that even in such cases, the person is not hurled into isolation. You would not do that if you could help it. To anyone you loved, to hurl them into isolation, and neither will God. Here we see the comforting mercy of God towards those who love him or seek him. Poor Lazarus died, we are told, by Jesus, and he was borne away by the angels to where God's people are gathered, says Luke chapter 16, verse 22. From the great cloud of witnesses come those who have been watching for us. They greet us and enfold us. And while those first few moments of ours will surely present us with one astonishing view after another, we will be joyous and peaceful because of the company we are in. The old spiritual song says, I looked over Jordan and what did I see coming for to carry me home? A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. And this seemingly simplistic picture derived from scriptural stories and teachings presents exactly what we should expect. We should expect it on the basis of our knowledge of God and the human soul, common human experience and the teachings of scripture. The laments interpret a world through biblical lens that while all of that that we just read is really even beyond our understanding, it's quite a mystery when we pass from this life to the next. Yet laments interpret the world through a biblical lens. Christians lament because we know the long arc of God's plan. There's a long arc of God's plan. That death for us doesn't end that the way that we're leaving this world. There's that transition that we just read about. That Christians lament because we know the long arc of God's plan. That there's creation. There's the fall of humanity. There's the redemption that Christ brought. And then there's the promise of restoration of all things that God will bring. And I know we know that we have cause for lament. We read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, about the ending of all laments. That God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I want you to think about Jesus' relationship to the Psalms. Before we get into some closing applications here, I want, I want you and I right now just to reflect on Jesus' relationship to the Psalms. Maybe you've never even really thought about the way Jesus viewed the Psalms. See, Jesus couldn't carry his Bible around in his hands. The scrolls of the Hebrew scriptures were to be kept in the synagogue. And like many Jews, Jesus carried God's word around in his heart. Jesus would have memorized God's word. He would have hidden God's word in his heart. So when Jesus was walking from Galilee to Jerusalem for the annual Jewish pilgrim, pilgrim festivals, we can imagine Jesus chanting from memory the Song of Ascents, taken from Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. Or when Jesus shared the Passover and Last Supper with his disciples, we can imagine Jesus, Peter, John, and the rest of the Disciples circling there, chanting from memory the songs of praise. Yes, they would have hidden God's word in their heart, those psalms of praise there in Psalms 113 through 118. This is what it means when the gospel says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives there in Mark chapter 14. They would have sung that hymn because it was hidden in their heart. That was Jesus' relationship to the Psalms. This image of Jesus praying the Psalms alone with his Father. Praying the Psalms around the circle with his disciples. Praying the Psalms on the road and in worship with his fellow pilgrims. And doing it all from memory. Gives us the sense that Jesus' knowledge of the Bible was a qualitatively and physiologically different variety. He had taken it inside of himself, into his brain chemistry, if not into his blood, and he knew it at a deeper bodily level. And that's why Jesus, in his moment of crisis, his greatest crisis, when he was being squeezed like olives, in a press, the one thing that came pouring out of him was none other than the Psalms. On the cross, we hear Jesus pray verses from the Psalms. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Psalm 31, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But given that Jesus and his disciples knew the Psalms by heart, it's been suggested that our Lord was praying his way through the Psalms on the cross. He must have prayed uh, about a dozen lament psalms by the time he reached Psalm 22, one of the most powerful of all laments. And consider Jesus moving on to the next psalm, praying, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, as he prayed Psalm 23. So if we want to become like Jesus as we lament, walking in his way, trusting in his truth, living his life, it is of utmost importance for us to consider how he began his day. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 35, that he got up very early. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And I'm convinced that a portion of that prayer time was spent in the Psalms. In the Psalms. Here's a few closing applications of lament. By the way, uh, tomorrow, June 8th, our denomination has set aside tomorrow as a day of lament, a day of fasting, and a day of prayer. Take advantage of using tomorrow as such to lament. Use lament. Use what it means to lament. Use the things we've covered in this sermon. Use fasting, not partaking of food for one meal or two meals or three meals in a way to have your very soul reveal its own hunger, not just your physical body revealing its hunger, but your soul regarding its own hunger for justice. That's what fasting truly is, and also a day of prayer. And so as we go through this new series on the Psalms, let me give you five applications uh, for lament. Number one is to read the Psalms. Yeah, there's 150 of the Psalms, and I'm encouraging you to read all of the Psalms every month. Right, take five Psalms per day, read those Psalms, five of them a day, which gets you through all 150 in a month. And so for example, today, June 7th, you would choose to read Psalm 7. And then you'd add 30 to that 7 and you'd read Psalm 37. And then you'd read Psalm 67, Psalm 97, and Psalm 127. Read those psalms. Reflect on those psalms. Slowly meditate on those psalms at different times of the day, five different times of the day. Take a moment and pause in your day, five different times, working through those psalms, reading them, learning how to Lament. Second application is to memorize. Yes, put to memory a couple of your favorite psalms. As you go through the psalms, there will be at least one or two that rise to the top for you as becoming one of your faves. Uh, this seems particularly important right now when our minds can easily be filled with noise and turmoil and just pain and just anxiety. But to memorize, perhaps Psalm 117. Those just two verses there in Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is God's love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Put the memory a couple of those psalms. Number three, the third application is to write a personal psalm of lament. Yeah, the book of Psalms has several laments written there for us to identify with, to cry out to God, to, uh, to cry our soul out to God. But I encourage you to use your own imagination. You might paint it. You might sing a song about it. You might journal about it. And you might write some laments, as I've chosen to do here, that we lament the pain and anger that has been unleashed with the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and too many others. All of those deaths 
of racism even before there was a video camera that caught it. And even those that uh, have not experienced justice. We lament the evil of racism that denies we are all created in the image of God and that we are precious and equal in God's sight because we are God's image bearers. We lament the reality of racism, which has resulted in inequality and injustice for far too many communities and for far too long. We lament the reality that while the ideal in the United States is that all enjoy equal treatment before the law, that ideal has fallen so short of becoming the standard for so many people. We lament the reality that while all should be treated with dignity and respect by law enforcement, in too many instances, people of color, especially African-American men, are subject to violence and even death at the hands of those who have sworn an oath to never betray the public trust. We lament that in too many instances in history, the church, yes, the church too, has failed to understand and empathize with the deep-seated pain, grief, anger, and confusion felt by the American African-American community. The fourth application here for us uh, as we lament is to go and listen to the people of color that's in your life. Yes, go and listen to them. And if you don't have any black friends, that's a great place to start. First of all, I would ask you to ask the question, why? Why don't you have any black friends? But go, listen, humble yourself, admit your part in the systemic racism, admit your part in contributing because of your white privilege. Go and listen is the application. Go and listen and lament and weep. Grieve with those who are grieving in our community. The fifth application is let's turn our lament towards God as as we pray. I'm going to pray right now and I invite you to pray. Pray with me. Pray Right now, as we lament together, pray whatever lament you're bringing. And let's bring it before the Lord. Dear precious Lord, help us listen. Help us go to people of color that's in our lives. Help us listen. We pray for the families of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and Breonna Taylor, and all the others that have experienced racism. We pray that we would actively commit to act, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord. As the prophet Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, teaches us, we pray that with humility we will engage and listen to the people of color in our lives, even if they share feelings that are hard for us to hear or to understand. We pray that we will seek to bear the burdens of those in our congregation and in our neighborhood and in our community who are victims of injustice, inequality, and poverty. 
So Lord, enable us right now to lament and to grieve and to shed your tears. Move us into action. Move us into action. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.